Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Publish This Over Lunch with uh, Woodhall Press. I'm David Legere speaking with writer A.J. O'Connell. A.J. is a freelance writer who got started at a newspaper as a newspaper reporter before she started writing books, uh, which is fascinating because uh, I don't often hear of the transition from newspaper to, uh, to books. So her work has been published by NPR.org. Uh, the Establishment and Electric Literature Magazine. She's had two novellas published and earned an MFA in creative fiction from Fairfield University in 2011. Her newest book, A Perfect Facebook Life, will be released on April 6th by Woodhall Press. She lives in rural Connecticut with her husband and child, and she'll be featured on FUNFA Live on April 11th, which is Fairfield University's uh, MFA uh, online live uh, platform for readers, and in fact, I'm going to be on uh, live Funfa Live this Sunday, uh, <laughs> writing something and for the first time, reading something I've written for the first time in ages. Uh, so, AJ, thank you for being here today. I, you know, I, I, I love your work. I've admired you for years, right? Like, I'm so happy we've been able to work together on a perfect Facebook Live. Uh, and that's what we'll be talking about today. But before we get into that, what are some you know, I, I kind of been asking people, this is my new question that I've been starting off with, is what are some recent literary trends that are exciting you the most right now as a writer? Okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's great to speak to you. I, we've been communicating um, through drafts. And you I've actually you. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. Oh, no, this a trend. I was thinking about your question when you said, um, I read the sort of stuff that I write. Oh, um, AJ, you're breaking up on me a, a, a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's cutting out. I, it's cutting out. So, <laughs> oh, so no. it, it's okay. So I've run into this before. Um, it could be if you're on a home connection, turn that connection off and then just use your cell phone connection. If you can, sometimes that's what I do a lot of times. That tends to work a little better. If not, just walk, I guess, maybe to try to find like a better spot. <laughs> nope. Oh, wait. Yeah, I can hear you. I heard like the last piece of that. I could take you on a journey or I can, I can pause for a oh. second and check my, my connection. It's coming through right now. I can, right. you're, you're good. All right. So, right <laughs> trends. okay. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a trend. I feel like it sort of denigrates what it is. Um, I don't read the kind of things that I write, which is a bit odd. I've always been a genre reader. I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. And uh, those have been, those have been genres that have do been dominated by white people. Very, very much white, straight, mostly male. Um, and I love the books I grew up reading, but now we're finally getting a chance to hear different stories, different kinds of stories. In the past year, um, in the past several years, we've read more black uh, fantasy writers, but recently, like, I read a Native American based fantasy. Like, it's not based in like castles in like Europe or like fake France or like fake England. It's <laughs> instead, it was based, uh, it was, um, it was by Rebecca Roanhorse. It was an excellent book called Black Sun, and that Ooh. was published last year. And it's um, indigenous peoples in America. Um, another one I read um, was Jewish, who was 
a Jewish fantasy, a retelling of um, Rumpelstiltskin, which I never realized was anti-Semitic, because why would I, as someone who doesn't experience that oppression, by um, Naomi Novik. Um, obviously, N.K. Jemison has done a lot of great work. Um, City of Brass is a Muslim and Middle Eastern fantasy. Like I've been really enjoying just hearing different stories and also not hearing straight stories, even though I am straight. <laughs> like it's nice. Like I've read the same damn love story so many times. It is so nice to read something from somebody else's point of view. So those are things that I like to hear. The own voices movement has really has really been, I think, a benefit to all fiction. Yeah, that's fascinating, with, especially with the fantasy. You know, as, as you're saying this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, because I also I love sci-fi and fantasy. And we have a cli-fi coming up uh, by a, a first-time author, Grace Agnew. And what I like love about it, it's called Sanctuary, is it tackles, it, similarly, it tackles concepts of, it's really science fiction, young adult. But similarly, it's, it's getting these new voices into the marketplace that has been predominantly dominated, right, by certain voices you know like i love for instance uh neil gaiman i love neil gaiman mm -hmm. but neil gaiman is a specific type of writer i've read everything by neil gaiman while it still feels fresh it's nice to find things that you know are distinctly not neil gaiman if that makes sense it, uh, yeah it's such an eye-opener to hear like something well i remember when i read neil gaiman the first time thinking wow like this is so cool it's so new and now like it's it's been done for about 20 years you know, yeah. it's time to hear something different, um, and it's time to see a different perspective. So, you know, on that, staying on new perspectives, I want to hear, yeah, I know about Perfect Facebook Live because I've worked with that, you had it, but I, for people here, tell us more about a Perfect Facebook Live. Like, what's it about? You know, what inspired it? Why should people read it? Like, what is it? You say a Perfect Facebook Live, people just kind of go, what the hell are you talking about? I know. Um, it's a weird book. It is. Um, so I am funny on Facebook, apparently. You well, are. No, I, know, I know that I'm funny on Facebook. Um, I am not necessarily funny in other places. Um, but but fa a perfect Facebook life is a collection of poetry, micro memoir, which I'm still trying to define. Um, very, very short plays, I say. This. They're, they're not really plays. Um, that began their lives as jokes I told on Facebook. Yeah. Um, so that's what it is. It's a collection of things that I said on Facebook that I then changed <laughs> into something that was, um, can, that was literary. And the reason I did it was because one of our mutual friends forced me to publish, to uh, submit the manuscript to you guys. Um, I had been told by several people that I needed to do something with my Facebook. I've been told to start a Patreon, which wouldn't work. Um, someone said, write a book. And I was like, eh, like they're two sentences long. Um, and then finally, our, our, our friend um, sent an email and was like, just do it. Just put everything together. And for the first time in my writing life, I had too much. I had like 200 pages before I windowed it down to what it needed to be for, for you guys. It's better to have too much than too little. I'm often in the position with authors where it's really difficult to add, but it's much easier to cut. And I, I hate being in the position where I'm like, look, uh, you know, we're, we're really low. And because then it's like, well, how do we come up with more material? It's always better to cut back. And 
I am glad uh, for anybody, you know, listening, um, AJ was uh, one of the finalists in the Fairfield University Book Prize. Uh, and, you know, you made it right all to the right up to the end. And then I want I, secretly, I was really hoping you were, you were going to win. I love this book. And I remember at the time, I was like, I really love this book. And when you did it, I, I said, well, I'm still going to try to get this book because I, I just think it's so clever for anybody that, that's interested in, in getting an idea of, of what it is, is. It's digestible content. And that's really so important nowadays. Our lives are so busy. And, you know, Woodhall has become known for our flash, right? Flash on fiction. We've got a collection of micro memoirs coming out spring 2022 called Non-White Woman with Darian uh, Suji. And it's this idea of digestible content. And you nail this with a Facebook Live. Like, it's it's hilarious. You can tune in when you want to tune in and tune out. Go to any part in the, in the, in the book and you don't feel like you've lost something. It's just feel good in a time when you want to feel good. And we had a lot of fun creating the interior design, too. I think you'll... To anybody like you're looking for a cool book to give uh, as even as a gift, this is that book. Like I think it's just a really. I have some books. A lot of my books, right? You, you know, this the six by nine black and white. They're standard. This book was fun to design. <laughs> this has been, uh, it's been a wild experience. This is not what I thought that I was going to be publishing, but it's been really cool to to do something with all this creative content that I've just been putting out for years without yeah. thinking about it. <laughs> and it's so so you're funny we know this you write humor um even though you may not always think of yourself as a funny person you're you're funny and the, it comes through so what is that when i say that even what does that mean to you and a follow-up question kind of as a humorist um what's that line between funny right and not funny and, and how do you define it like i'm I find that that's one of the, the, the questions whenever i talk to anybody that writes humor nowadays i want to know how do you define humor like, how do you find that? <laughs> okay, so I actually was just talking about this. I My uh, publicist that I work with had me write an essay that we're still trying to place about being funny on Facebook. Um, mm. I was one of those kids who didn't talk in class a lot. Like, I'll be funny around my friends or I'll be funny with people I'm very comfortable with. But I was not a kid who spoke up in class. Um, my participation scores were abysmal. Um, <laughs> I was afraid of speaking up and being heard and making jokes. And sometimes if I had a really funny thought, I would sort of murmur it and let one of the kids near me say it just to see if it got a reaction. <laughs> like, And then I'd give them credit for it. And I did that thing um, a lot because, you know, sometimes you make a joke and it bombs. And I was already not like the most popular child in school <laughs> for, <laughs> for obvious dorky reasons, which you can probably see behind me. But like... Um, books, uh, everybody. There's lots of books behind AJ. Many books. And there's a picture of like four. <laughs> Why is he over my head? I don't know. That's where we had space for him. But like... <laughs> there. So, like, I was not confident about being funny. And then, of course, like, as a woman, um, hello, Nicole, one of my students is watching us, uh, one of my former students. She's a grown woman now. Um, anyways, I, as a woman, being funny is almost a radical act. And I remember mm. I dated guys who thought that women were not funny. I had one guy actually tell me I was not funny. 
and should stop laughing at my own jokes, but nobody else was. Um, so you, so I hadn't really been able to be funny out loud except to people I felt really comfortable with. And then like, mm. I found that like self-denigrating humor worked really well in certain situations. So when Facebook happened, um, I would just put things out there that I thought would contribute a little bit <laughs> rather than being like, um, you know, vague booking about my day at work. Although I do some of that too. Um, or, you know, <laughs> like say I'm making a potato for dinner. Like I would try and say like whatever it was, it was my observation that I thought was funny that day that made me chuckle, I would put online. And then I started getting feedback and it was like telling that kid next to me what I said and getting reaction. Like I could now tell jokes without having to see people's faces yeah. or get reactions from the people who hated it. Um, yeah. It was a, it was like stand up for for shy people, <laughs> and it was very helpful for me to have that in a written it, form. It's that barrier, right? It, it's I, I was just was talking to my students about this. There's something where a student can feel comfortable, a person can feel comfortable speaking to millions of unknown people through, let's say, Snapchat or you know TikTok or anything, you know, YouTube letting people view you, yet having that same conversation one-on-one -on -one with somebody you know is, you know, causes anxiety. Yet you mm -hmm. can speak to thousands of people, right, that you don't know, and you can pour your heart out. So there's something, it, it's about that barrier, I think that's fascinating. Um, yeah. I mean, and people who don't like my jokes, I'm sure there are plenty of people on my Facebook who think I'm a weirdo, and they just keep scrolling. They don't have to interact. I've had a couple of people interact. I almost sent you a blurb from a guy I went to high school with who wrote, these are supposed to be funny, bless your heart about the books. And I figured if I get a few good blurbs, I'll send that one over. <laughs> um, but like, um, that's okay. sort of, you know, you get the feed. But once people start saying, oh, this is funny, I'm like, oh, it's funny. Then I can be funny. So you asked what makes things funny and where the line is, where things aren't yeah. funny. And I have given a lot of thought to this. I find that um, sometimes sarcasm is considered to be a virtue, but I find that um, often it can be the low hanging fruit. Like sarcasm, I'm beginning to think is not wit. Um, it also is a bit mean. I don't yeah, like mean humor. I don't mind like profane humor. <laughs> But if you're punching down, if you are mm. trying to obviously prop yourself up at the expense of others, that's not funny for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like that. I don't. Most of my humor makes fun of like me almost putting glue stick on instead of chapstick. <laughs> Like, um, most of my humor mocks myself or is a situational thing. So I think that's where the line has always been for me. Um, yeah. And it's not like, um, it's not like I don't mind, like, gross out humor, like, is funny sometimes. Um, but as long as you're being, like, you know, bad words are funny, like, just in case my mom's listening. Um, like... <laughs> But yeah, punching down is not good. It's I would say I would argue it's witty humor and feel good humor. 
it's not humor meant to pull other people down to make you rise, right? That's a different kind of humor. Where you, you know, like it's, I always think back to, to school where, you know, some kid falls on the ground, hurts himself, and somebody makes a, oh, look at you, and then they all laugh. That's not real. You don't even really feel good laughing at that, but you still laugh because it's almost like we're preconditioned to laugh at people's misery. Um, which th your writing doesn't do. You're, it almost reminds me in a way of um, that comedian, uh, John Gaffigan or Jim Gaffigan. Jim uh, Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan. Gaffigan. I love you. Yeah, just feel good humor. I got exposed to Jim Gaffigan. And I, I really enjoy that style of feel good humor, which, uh, which I, I think you accomplish here. And you define like the line. And I would even say it's not, doesn't always have to be laughing a lot of your humor when, when i read this is thoughtful humor too i read something and i'm not laughing necessarily but i'm thinking about it and i'm chuckling in a different kind of way like i'm it's resonating with me and i'm thinking about it long after i've read that as i'm doing something else maybe similar later on i'm going oh yeah <laughs> it's like it's when you're, you know when you're writing fiction right like if you're doing something in life and you see something and like you say, oh, I could describe it in this way while I'm writing fiction. Um, then it's sort of like that. If I see something that is ridiculous, I will file it away. And usually I'll workshop it on Facebook. One of the things that made me a little sad about the book is that I couldn't include the back and forth without including a ridiculous number of comments. But some of the people that I talk to, it's almost like workshopping a joke. Um, <laughs> you know, I it's the back and forth is one of the most delightful things about the the jokes because there's banter on facebook um yeah. but it does seem like cheating sometimes i don't know if you've seen the marvelous mrs Maisel. oh yeah absolutely love that yeah you know how she was playing parties yeah before she had the, the guts to go on stage yeah facebook because it's a closed group always feels like playing a party like i don't go on twitter people on twitter <laughs> mean i should go on twitter <laughs> um, I, I'm a wuss. Um, so in some ways, um, it's a very safe place for comedy. And in writing comedy, you know, you know, I produced, uh, you know, I was the editor for um, Regina Baraka, right for Fast Funny One Night, and published that. And Excellent. what I learned through Gina and through reading these stories from these hilarious uh, contributors is that... Um, the best humor seems to come from really just a place of honesty. Like you just observe the world around you and the world around you can be quite hilarious. And you just are vulnerable and honest and capture a moment in time. And depending on how you do it, it can be absolutely hilarious or terrifying depending on how you write that story. Like you can take, in fact, you know, like I always think about it, it's like you're inserting the laugh track. Like you can laugh at this moment. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, Gina Barreca, that book is excellent. And I love her work, as you know. Um, I used to read her work all the time when I worked at the paper and I had to go through the wire. She was syndicated so I could pull her up and read, take a little break. Um, her, her point of view is what's funny. Um, yeah. And her, her humor is, I think, compassionate. Like her humor is not mean. Um, and I mean, she even had one column that I related to because I had the same situation in my class where there was a girl who asked how she could calmly and quietly ask a boy in another class to stop watching porn during lectures. 
And her reaction to that was outrage on behalf of the girl and confusion on like, like who's paying for this kid's education. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That is it's unfortunately a common situation the professors face. And, mm. but she wasn't mean about it. It was concern, but also yeah. it's a ridiculous situation. It, it, I was actually one of her students ages ago. And the, the takeaway, I, one of the takeaways from her, many takeaways was uh, empathy in your writing. You know, like if you can, uh, you know, truly be an empathetic person, that only will allow you to write finally, write whatever it is. But you can put yourself sort of in the place of someone else's shoes. And once you can do that, you can, you know, see the entire picture for what it is and then accurately kind of capture it. Uh, Empathy in writing. I can't. I always stress that with my students. Empathy. <laughs> yes, it's important to to see where everyone else. Because you do own your story, right? But yeah. other people also own parts of your story. Exactly. Exactly. So it kind of like dovetails into. I'm curious. Um, you know, what's been your the most difficult part of your artistic process? You know, like and also the most rewarding. But I'm, I'm curious. What's you know, your challenge. As a writer, everybody has their thing. Um, what's your thing? <laughs> oh, God, finding the time to write. So that's what <laughs> every, book, that. <laughs> every book, except maybe my second one, has been published by accident. <laughs> like, um, I've accidentally written this book. And it just happened to be there. Um, I um, have a very hard time sitting down because I write for a living and I write nonfiction things for a living. Um, it's hard to sit down and actually write the books I'm trying to write. So I have always been one of those people where like creativity comes out sideways <laughs> instead of in straightforward fashion. Um, so where I will, I, I need a creative outlet and it happened to be Facebook once I, had my kid especially once I started my business writing for companies then the, all the little stuff that I had used like during the MFA program you have to you have to buckle down um, but like the creativity would seep out sort of the sides and it would end up on Facebook it would end up um, like the novella that I wrote a long time ago it sort of wrote itself while I was working for the newspaper and I, I had to write a sequel because <laughs> I had to write a sequel. Um, so sitting down, like I'm, I'm working on novels now sometimes, but just finding the time and the energy to put into the projects that I'm planning has yeah. always been my challenge. I don't think you're alone in that. I think anybody who writes for a living creatively, like uh we suffer from this. You know, if you ever talk to anybody who works in publishing, ask somebody in publishing uh, how often they actually write. Uh, and it's not often. Uh, and you, that's one of the, the downsides, and, and you have to fight against it, is if you make pizza all day, do you then want to make pizza at night and eat it? So if you're writing and you're using your artistic talent creatively, right, to, to, to work, how then do you separate and still have the time and energy to sit down at night or early in the morning and write. That's where the discipline comes in, and it gets really, really easy to stop writing. And I think that's something we have to fight against. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is, I remember just seeing how much material I had for the first manuscript and being like, I've never had this. I've always written short. And part of that is 
Um, part of that's newspaper, part of that's having to write blogs for a living where you get as much into the smallest amount as possible. And that's also why I do so well with Facebook stats is like, you cram a lot into a little bit. Um, and so having like writing long has always been a problem because then it's just padding. Yeah. So this is this has been an interesting format to actually indulge, like actually spend time on, um, mm -hmm. actually like trying to make them as funny as they can be. Um, <laughs> going back and workshopping and trying to like you know make them really have a punch to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm I might be biased because you know I worked with you on this book, but I really do love it. I think. Um, the world is going to love it. I encourage anybody uh, listening right now or watching this, uh, definitely uh, pick this book up in April. I think it's going to be, you know, it's by far been one of the most fun projects I've had the opportunity to work on, especially design-wise. It's cool. So uh, kind of like one of the last questions I ask everybody, because I'm just interested, I, just find, I find it fascinating, is uh, coffee or tea? What are I'm you, coffee. coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> I mean, I like tea. It's really just a substitute for coffee, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I started asking that because it felt like I, everywhere I would go, there'd be such a strong line in the sand where I find people, like writers, tend to take a very hard stance on coffee or tea. And I feel like I've been going in between now. Like I've been doing, like I'm doing coffee now, but I'm going to be switching to the tea and probably like when I get done with this, so. <laughs> you no, know, I, I drink tea later because, you know, I, I can't drink coffee all night like I used to. But... Same. What happened to that? Like, I used to be able to drink a cup of coffee and then go to bed a half hour later. I drink coffee now at like 7 o'clock. I'm see... up till like 2 in the morning. Exactly. I can't drink coffee after noon. I have to do like one thing of coffee. And I used to be in diners all night. With the bottomless yeah. coffee, I don't know yes. what happened. It's not fair. I miss the coffee, uh, the ability that I had to just drink coffee whenever I wanted. I miss that a little bit. Yeah, I'm getting old is bad. She's <laughs> like, like, oh man, now it's acid reflux because of coffee. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, Tums? What are Tums? I have to take Tums now? What is yeah, this? It's like, Tums? No, that's something that other people take. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not me. <laughs> All right, so uh, coffee. Um, what gets you up each day? Like a quote, a song, a motto. What gets you up and embracing the day, particularly as a writer? But like, what makes you like get your energy? <laughs> I don't know if it, I thought about this and I thought about this. Um, I don't think I have a quote anymore, but I do have a sort of thought where. Um, be kind to like compassion once again, but like being kind to yourself. Like yes. if I can't, like I remember being in the MFA programming surrounded by writers who were like, writers write, you must write every day. You must write, <laughs> just write. If you're not writing, you're not a writer. Like, no, you write when you can. Your life yes. is, you have a bunch of projects in your life. Your family's a project, your health is a project, your work is a project. You can only do about four projects, five projects at a time. Um, so be kind to yourself, like honor where you are. Like, and if you are having a rough day, then that that's fine. And if you are creating, that's fine. And if your draft is terrible, that's also fine because you wrote it. 
like, it's there, you can go back now. Like, and I think like, yeah. there is, there's a time to beat yourself up and there's a time to be kind to yourself. And if you're kind to yourself, then maybe you can be kind to others and try and see where they're coming from. Um, I don't know if I always embody that, but that's what I want to embody. I love everything about that. And it, it makes me think of a quote my partner uh, Colin says all the time that I have now stolen. It's progress is still progress, right? Like if you're, if you're doing, if you did a little something today, you, you did a little something today and you should, should feel good about that. If you didn't write today, who cares? It's okay. You don't have to write every day. You, you don't have to do these things. I feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves and that's why uh, I know at least in my case, I feel like sometimes I would crack. It was too much pressure. So now I have to say, you know what? I get what I can get done today. And that's all I can get done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have a, I have a writer's group that I belong to for, oh, God, it's going to be a decade now. Because yeah. we got together when we graduated from the MFA program. And we get it done for each other. Like, we will, okay, so I will send you, you know, three pages from whatever I wrote we and I mean some of us have been working on our novels for 15 years um but the, you know if if someone doesn't get it done that month then they don't get it done like it's okay we all have lives um yeah. so we try not to beat each other up we I try to hold each other accountable without beating each other and ourselves up I think and I think that's the best thing that you can do in all areas of life and well, for anybody listening, the takeaway from that too is get a writer's group as well. Um, you know, it's I was in a writer's group for many years that actually ended up transitioning into Woodhall Press that they became my partners. And, and uh, I would say what's great about a writer's group is uh, in some ways, it's a support system that can help you write um, even me. But then again, at the same time, they're, they're understanding, like AJ said, sometimes you just don't write. That's okay too. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you read, and that's what you yeah. do. Like, sometimes and I you think, <laughs> yeah, a writer's group like that would you ask for a piece of advice? That's yeah, one of my pieces of advice. You, you should definitely get a bunch of people you respect. Get the people whose voices you want to hear, not just a bunch of people who are like, "Hey, yeah, I, I need a writer's group." Like, make sure like you know you want those people in your group and you value their opinions because you're going to have them yeah. all the time. Exactly. Well, that was really my last question was what piece of advice? It sounds like, you know, get a writer's group if you can. Uh, and, then, you know, that gets up there with this whole idea of just not just writer's groups, but support systems in general, whether it's for writing or whatever, you know, endeavor you're doing in your life creatively or otherwise. Get those support systems. Uh, and it's better. I could imagine doing what I do without those support systems. I'm sure it's the same with you, right? <laughs> yeah. This society is not set up to support artistic people. We are no. not set up to, like, if I could write fiction and creative stuff all day, I would do that. I enjoy my clients and I love my work. Um, <laughs> but I would, you know, make things up all day. <laughs> like, and yeah. our society is not. Um, not geared for you know fiction writers or poets or visual artists my dad's a visual artist who went into advertising and I've, I've seen it in him and in me um so when you have a group then they can be your support system that you need to do the thing well that's excellent so you know 
I want to send people to you. Where where can I direct people to find you? <laughs> oh, well, they can find me at ajoconnell.com. All right. Um, <laughs> so that's one place. Um, they can find my author Facebook. My personal Facebook is fairly locked down because of the last four years. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm going to try to be funnier on my, that's my, my resolution, try to move some of the funny stuff over to the, the author Facebook page so people can actually see that I am funny on Facebook. And um, right. they can find me at Twitter at AJ O'Connell and also at Ann O'Connell. I don't know why I have two. I just do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if there's any questions, if anybody thinks of something, you want me to follow up with AJ, anything at all, if you want to be a guest on the show, email me at david at woodhallpress.com. And thank you, AJ. This is, has been wonderful. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. All right. See ya. All right. Bye.